There are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Garrick Hodge, who is celebrating a birthday this week. So, Garrick, first of all, happy birthday and welcome back to the show. Oh, well, thanks. I feel older. <laughs> yeah, you, we, you, you, you and me, me coming up close behind you, we're starting to reach the age where if we were NFL running backs, we'd be put out to pasture. Oh, they would have taken me out and uh, thrown me in a river probably about three years ago with my age. So that's that's a good way of uh, the listener to guess my age um, from well, that analogy right there. But yeah, well, well, we're we're getting older, but that that just makes it all the more appropriate for us to start our show by talking about a player who hasn't even started his sophomore year of high school, right? I sounds good to me. Well, as you all know, when we have Garrick on the show, we usually talk about uh, recruiting and we are going to talk about some recruiting today because it's been an eventful month, uh, to say the least, for Ohio State. Uh, Good events, bad events. I'd say it's been kind of a a roller coaster kind of month for Ohio State in in recruiting. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, other stuff later in the show as well. We'll, we'll of course, preview preseason camp, which is going to be starting for Ohio State on Thursday. And uh, we'll also talk a little about realignment because uh, the, the next wave of, of realignment certainly seems to be starting. And there's been some interesting rumors out there over the last couple of days about, uh, you know, who could be headed where and, you know, potential future moves, even for the Big Ten. So we'll get into that later in the show. But we'll, we'll start out talking about recruiting because uh, certainly uh, two big wins for Ohio State uh, this weekend. Uh, as as I just mentioned, uh, one of those wins coming with a player who uh, just finished up his freshman year of high school, but uh, is certainly someone who uh, Ohio State has been recruiting heavily for already a year now and who Ohio State believes is going to be one of the best players in his entire class. And that's Chris Henry Jr., uh, the wide receiver from Cincinnati, uh, the first commit for Ohio State in the 2026 class. And Obviously, of him still being so early in his career, there are no composite rankings for his class yet. But I think pretty much everybody expects Chris Henry Jr. is going to be a five star player in his class, probably one of the top overall players in his class. I mean, you just I mean, we, we saw it a year ago when he camped at Ohio State. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's already six, five, almost 200 pounds, you know, great athlete. I mean, you just see all the tools there for him to grow into an elite wide receiver at the collegiate level. And so while I I think it's natural and probably healthy, honestly, for, for fans to have some skepticism about a, a recruit when it's this early in the process, because we, we certainly have seen examples of players who were very highly touted at this stage in their high school career and then don't necessarily end up becoming the player that they were touted to be at first I, I think when you're talking about you know that 26 class and, and guys who look like future stars in that class I think Chris Henry Jr. is right up there as one of the safest bets in that class as as somebody who I think Ohio State has every reason to feel confident is going to be an elite prospect yeah I can guarantee you Ohio State views Chris Henry Jr. as a five-star prospect um, that's why they offered him uh, as an eighth grader before he ever played a down of high school football and, you know, Dan, you and I have both seen Chris Henry work out a couple times, both at the Under Armour camp and at uh, Ohio State's recruiting camp. And he's definitely beaten kids that have uh, 
been his elder in classes and not just, you know, your average uh, Joe Schmo, like he's beaten Dorian Brew, a uh, top Ohio prospect in 2025, two out of three reps that we saw at the camp. Um, he's used his length and his height uh, as a huge weapon. He's not necessarily the fastest receiver you're ever going to see, but he's fast enough given his height and his ability to create separation and use his body to uh, make contested catches look just natural. And um, it was kind of funny Friday night when we were sitting out there, a gathered of a, a couple of reporters gathered around uh, him interviewing him from his day at uh, the Buckeye Summerfest recruiting event. And um, Pac-Man Jones, of course, uh, many of you know the story with him and Pac-Man, but Pac-Man's in the background going, yo, y'all committing or what? I can't do it for you. Um, in the middle of an interview and then Chris Henry just uh, smirked and was like all right yeah I'll spill the beans I'm committing to Ohio State so that was definitely one of the uh, more interesting commitments we've seen in a while and uh, I mean in terms of an announcement and pure hype and all that we've seen some pretty interesting ones in the last couple days which we'll get into the other one later but you never want to get too excited like you said Dan about a wide receiver that commits or not just a wide receiver a prospect anytime committing so far out in advance in the 2026 class but um, I think Chris Henry is locked in with Ohio State as much as you can be at this point in time and I think that uh, he's definitely every bit as advertised and going to be a five-star player in his class. Now you mentioned the other commitment which I certainly think you know in, in terms of immediacy and and in terms of what was really a big need for Ohio State in the current class. I think without a doubt, the biggest news of a weekend was Aaron Scott Jr. committing to Ohio State. And we've talked about Aaron Scott's uh, the battle for his recruitment for for months. We've, you know, every time you've been on the show this year, we've talked about the race for Aaron Scott. And so I think, you know, this was certainly one of the most, if not the most anticipated announcement for Ohio State in this recruiting class. Uh, a, a lot of that having to do with who they were battling to get him, because if, if Michigan had come into Ohio State and poached Aaron Scott from Ohio State, that would have been, I mean, that would have been an even bigger win than Jordan Marshall. That would have been Michigan's biggest recruiting win over Ohio State in a long, long time. So it was really important for Ohio State to be able to win that battle and, and lock in Aaron Scott as uh, uh, one of its cornerbacks in the 2024 class. And that did happen on, on Sunday. He, he, he faked everyone out there for a moment. He, he, he is, you, you were there and you, you saw it witness live as he originally threw aside the Ohio state backpack, picked up a Michigan backpack and the, and the Michigan fans that were in the crowd, they got excited for a minute. And then he's like, Hey, 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 hold up. And then he pulls out an Ohio state Jersey with the number five, the number he says he's going to wear at Ohio State, and the number worn by fellow Springfield native Braxton Miller at Ohio State, who uh, he has a close relationship with. And he put on that jersey to signify that he will be a Buckeye. And without a doubt, Garrick, one of the most important victories for Ohio State in this recruiting cycle. What was it that ultimately sealed the deal for Ohio State and allowed them to win this hotly contested recruiting battle. Hey, like I said, Ohio State won that recruitment by the hair of its chinny-chin-chin, right? But um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of times playing with a certain player when a recruit says that they want to team up with, a, you know, a guy that they're close with in the recruiting cycle is a little overvalued. I don't think it was here. And I think a major factor in his recruitment selling him on Ohio State was the – 
ability to team up with Bryce West, who had already committed um, on his official visit that Aaron was with him at. And uh, those two are very close friends. They complement each other well in terms of what they do on the field. And I think they're really excited to play together. And Aaron talked about that quite a bit after his announcement that, uh, you know, they're both in-state guys. And, you know, Aaron was kind of thinking about, you know, or do you play the hero role being the Ohio kid stays in Ohio or do you pull the Charles Woodson role and play the villain? But, um, and he's like, I just wanted to stay in state and he didn't really touch on this too much, but you know, his, his dad being a Buckeye fan and doing it for him on his dad's birthday, I think was a special moment for the kid. But ultimately I, th- I did find it really interesting that when he was talking about uh, Ohio state, he said that Michigan was actually his leader coming into Ohio State's visit. And then after his conversations with multiple people in the program, with Ryan Day, with Tim Walton, with Bryce West, with players on the Ohio State's team, he felt more comfortable uh, being around that team. And it had been a while since he'd been there. And he said he really just felt needed by the Buckeyes. And that just really sold him and gave him sort of the peace of mind that that's where he needed to be. So uh, it was probably about as uh, tightly contested of a recruitment as I can remember, at least in terms of going against Michigan uh, for an Ohio kid. It had been a while since those two were locked horns so tightly. But I think after he uh, pulled out that Ohio State jersey from that Michigan backpack, after uh, Ohio State fans let out a small primal roar, they just took a big exhale because it was certainly a much-needed win on the recruiting trail for them. And certainly, you know, Tim Walton's feeling pretty good right now about, you know, what he's got at, at cornerback coming into that 2024 class with Bryce West, Aaron Scott Jr., and Miles Lockhart all now committed to Ohio State. And, and granted, Bryce West, Aaron Scott, like those are guys you're supposed to get. They're Ohio guys. You're supposed to get them. I and mean, Miles Lockhart, I mean, I think the day he got the offer, he was telling you that he, Ohio State was his leader. So, like, those were free guys. Like, Ohio State was always in the pole position with those guys. It's not like Ohio State had to, like, make up a ton of ground to get those guys. Ohio State was supposed to get those guys, but they did. And when you, you, you pair that with what Ohio State was able to do last year, bringing in Jermaine Matthews Jr., Calvin Simpson Hunt, who both ended up being top 100 prospects in that class, I think you can look at, you know, these first two full recruiting cycles for Tim Walton and say he's doing a good job right now of, of bringing in the kind of talent that Ohio State needs to have at corner if it's going to get to that, you know, quote unquote, BIA that they always talk about. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about being in the pole position, that's certainly not a guarantee. And while, yes, they were in the driver's seat for all three of those guys starting out, I do think it is a credit based on how things have been going in the recruiting cycle lately that they did close out all three of those guys because as we've seen lately with Marquise Lightfoot, uh, Kingston Villamuasa, and most recently Dylan Stewart that we'll touch on in a little bit, um, you know, Ohio State led for all three of those guys, maybe not the whole way through their recruitments, but at least a pretty solid near the end of most of them. And they didn't end up closing on any of the three of them. So I do think Tim Walton should get some credit for closing on all three of those guys, even if it's not necessarily a monumental victory like a Justin Scott per se. But touching on Dylan Stewart, certainly got uh, Ohio State fans stirred up on the message boards and Twitter a little bit after he committed to South Carolina, coming off a South Carolina visit. No no easy way to really sugarcoat it. Um, just not a great look for Ohio State losing out on uh, 
DC product to South Carolina. No disrespect to the Gamecocks, but this isn't a, a Southern kid staying in the SEC footprint. It's a guy on the East Coast and an area that Ohio State hasn't uh, had trouble recruiting in the past, uh, and they couldn't end up closing the deal. And it's probably seems a lot more because of last year's three recruiting misses with the five-star defensive ends. But I'm not as gloom and doom as a lot of other fans or maybe other some analysts look at it because they do still have Justin Scott. And I think sometimes a lot of people keep forgetting they have Justin Scott. And for me, at least, Justin Scott and like that type of caliber player at his position being an interior guy is much harder to replace than a guy on the outside that's a premier pass rusher. Um, Now, both are very hard to find. I'm not trying to minimize the loss by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly, if nothing else, a red flag that uh, Ohio State is now 0 for its last four with five-star defensive ends. And Edric Houston, as far as I know, still in Ohio State lean, got a decision coming up on August 22nd. But with uh, the miss on Stewart, there's definitely – a huge urgency to get that recruitment closed and make sure that Edric's coming to Ohio state on August 22nd. Yeah. I mean, recruiting tends to be a very ebb and flow kind of thing. And I think it always, it always kind of tends to be a, what have you done for me lately in terms of how people react to how a recruiting class is going. And so when you, when you get a big hit, it's like things are going great. And when you have a big miss, it's like the sky's falling. You know, I think, you know, again, like if we kind of look at this like past month, I, I think the truth is very much somewhere in the middle there for Ohio State, where I think Ohio State has had a few big wins here recently. I mean, they, they've done what they've needed to do to keep themselves as that number two recruiting class in the country. And, you know, you look at the class that they have right now. I mean, it's, it's a strong class. I mean, they've got 19 guys in that class now. Uh, a lot of talent in that class. I mean, there's, you know, there's not a lot of guys in that class that you could look at and go, and did they really need this guy? Like, and it's a lot of premier talent across that class uh, spread out a lot of different positions. So I think like all in all, Ohio state is doing a good job with this 2024 class. That being said, there are still a few holes that need to be filled. And the number one hole without a doubt right now is that defensive end position, because like you said, Ohio state, I mean, it, at one point last year, it looked like they had a real chance of landing any and all of Keon Keeley, Mateo Uyunglele, Damon Wilson. Ohio State went 0 for 3. Now they they miss on Dylan Stewart when coming out of official visits in June, it seemed like Ohio State was the leader for him. And and now they, they lose him a little over a month later. And so I mean that that's a trend. Like you can't ignore that trend here. But over the last couple of years, Ohio State has not been able to close the deal on those five-star defensive ends. And I think because of that, you know, now, like, if you were doing a, a heat check today, if I was doing that, I'm putting Edric Houston at that number one slot on the board. I think Edric Houston is now the most important player for Ohio State to land in this 2024 class. Certainly, you could make a case for his high school teammate, K.J. Bolden, and we're going to find out where he goes on Saturday. But I think just based on the misses that Ohio State has had at defensive end in these past couple classes – and the fact that Ohio State doesn't have a defensive end in the class right now, I think Edric Houston is now very much a must-get for the Buckeyes. Well, I will have a heat check up uh, before Edric Houston's commitment, so you you readers will find out if I agree <laughs> with Dan on uh, Ohio State's Nets' number one target. But there was a little bit more negative recruiting news as well, um, but 
this one was to be more expected. 2025 five-star quarterback, Ohio State commit, Jonte Gilbert. Ohio State's first ever 2025 commit. Kind of caught everybody off guard when he committed. It was actually exactly a year ago from the day he eventually ended up decommitting on July 29th. But yeah, um, just ended up decommitting. Um, The writing had been on the wall for a long time. I remember talking to him uh, the day after he committed and he said that uh, he had a conversation with Tim Walton that basically said, look, if you're committed, you know what this means. You can't be taking other visits. You know, we want you all in, you know, the whole nine yards. And that did not last very long. He ended up visiting a, a whole lot of other schools, um, entertaining other offers. And I mean, to the kid's credit, he's a five-star player. I probably wouldn't have committed that early if I were him either. But disappointing. But I mean, the writing had been on the wall for a long time there. And considering that Ohio State has uh, some decent prospects in a 2025 class that are at least leaning towards Ohio State's direction this way. Devin Sanchez, another five-star guy among them. Uh, Dorian Brew could play safety, he could play cornerback, but um, Dorian Brew is also probably leaning toward Ohio State if I were to guess right now. You know, the, the writing's uh, not necessarily on the wall that it's going to be a lackluster defensive back class in that uh, cycle by any stretch of the imagination. But still, you never want to lose a commitment from a five-star guy, but they ended up doing so, Jonte. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like, I don't think Jonte Gilbert was ever really committed. And I, and I don't mean that to rag on the kid. Like, I mean, he's a teenager making the most important decision of his life. And I, I, I think quite honestly, I think he just committed too early. And I think quite honestly, like if you asked like our readers or most Ohio state fans at the time he committed, they, they saw this coming. Like they're kind of like, okay, like, are we really going to get excited about somebody who's committing two and a half years before signing day? And so I, you know, I think a lot of people kind of saw it coming with this one, but it was just, it was just too early in the process for him to really know where he wanted to go. And, you know, and obviously like, I think that's why a lot of people are going to look at the Chris Henry jr. Commitment and be like, no, why should we care? Like it's two and a half, it's two and a half years from now. I I do think that's a little bit different with, with Chris Henry jr. Being an in-state guy. Um, I, I think there's a, a little bit of a difference there. And like, I mean, I think they, like, I think the writing's kind of been on the wall for like a year now that Chris Henry Jr. was eventually going to be the Buckeye. So like, I, I think we kind of already saw that one coming eventually where, like you said, the Jonte Gilbert commitment, that really came out of a blue. And I think that was a really Ohio state looking at and saying, well, like we think this guy's going to be a five-star DB. So if he wants to commit, we're not going to say no to him, but you know, just based on all the visits he took, over the past year, you know, I think it was pretty obvious that like he was always exploring his options, even though he was considering himself to be an Ohio State commit for the past year. Well, we've touched on it a little bit already, but uh, coming out of official visits, Ohio State looked like it was the leader for Dylan Stewart, KJ Bolden, and Edric Houston. And for all we know, there's a chance they could go 0 for 3. They're at least 0 for 1 on Stewart. Um, KJ Bolden set to announce on Saturday. So we'll get an answer there, uh, pretty soon. Uh, this one's sort of an uncertain recruitment leading up to the deadline. And I think he's, uh, very good at building suspense for his commitment. Um, I'm not necessarily buying that Auburn's in the top two coming off his recent visit to there, but I mean, I think Florida state's a contender in that. I think Georgia's a contender in that. I think Ohio state's a contender in that, but Last time I was on the show, I thought that uh, K- 
KJ Bolden would end up at Ohio State. Now I'm less confident in that. I'm, I'm still not ruling it out, but I'm certainly less confident than I was. I would probably take the field if you offered me betting odds right now. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you on that with, with KJ Bolden. I mean, I think, again, it's another example of there being a lot of confidence coming out of his official visit at, in June, but it just doesn't seem like there's the same level of confidence coming from Ohio state now. And I know, you know, I've, I've seen Georgia, Georgia fans say it like, you know, we, we, Ohio state surged at recruitment, you know, Florida state's had a surge in that recruitment. Auburn's the team that I'm at surge now, but, but one team that's always been a constant in that recruitment is Georgia, but the home state school, Georgia, Georgia's always been right there in that recruitment. So it's one, I mean, almost kind of like we talked about Aaron Scott, like with Ohio state or like, you know, there, there were all these kind of surges in it at times where you kind of felt like he wasn't going to go to Ohio state, but Ohio state was still always the constant there as, as the home state school. I, I feel like Georgia has been the same way with KJ Bolden. And so if I had to pick right now, I would pick that he is going to end up staying home and committing to Georgia on Saturday. We've already touched that Edric Houston is um, probably the highest priority recruit left on the board for Ohio State. I'd probably agree with that. Sorry to spoil the heat check that you'll read in either a week or two weeks from now. But um, if even if they do get Edric or they don't get him, they're still going to need other defensive ends to fill out the rest of the roster. And, you know, the – Ohio State didn't necessarily have a big uh, pool to choose from, and that was sort of by design because they were confident on where they sat with Lightfoot, Stewart, and uh, Houston. But they may need to expand it a little bit. I think where they could go – I still don't think they're done pursuing Lightfoot. I think that they're optimistic that Miami will continue to be Miami throughout the season and see if they can hopefully sway him back in. Frankly, maybe them missing out on Stewart helps them in that regard. You never know. I think it's possible they re-engage more with Nigel Smith, although I wouldn't be necessarily optimistic about uh, their chances of securing him with the September commitment coming up. But um, that's another route they could go. He took an official visit, and he has been to Ohio State multiple times. Ernest Willer Jr. could be another guy that visits in the fall if they want to pursue him, another uncommitted prospect. It's Kind of uh, open to interpretation whether Booker Pickett is more of a linebacker or more of an edge guy, but I kind of see I see him as a jack. Yeah, yeah, but he could probably come visit, take an official visit in the fall too, especially the way things are going. I wouldn't discount that. Uh, most recently visited for a spring, but other than that, if they want another prospect, they might have to uh, hit the portal or start expanding their board a little further. Yeah, you me- you mentioned a portal, and it, it's interesting because. It does feel to me, and we're not going to really know this for sure until like December or January, but it does feel to me like Ohio State is being even more selective than it's been in the past in terms of high school recruiting. And I think some of that probably has to do with the fact that, you know, they, they have gotten more aggressive in the portal and maybe they're less inclined to use a scholarship on somebody they're not quite sure on when they could potentially go back to the portal, you know, and then and bring in somebody who already has some college experience who might be able to fill a more immediate need. And so I, I do feel like that probably has something to do with the fact that Ohio State doesn't seem to be casting as wide of a net at these positions of need as as maybe we've seen in the past. Now I I don't 
you know, I, I don't know if that's a perfect strategy because, you know, I think, you know, I mean, Ryan Day's talked about a lot, like the, the bedrock of a team like has to be building through and developing high school players. And I, and I still think that's the case. Like, I still think like the core has to be built on recruiting and, and developing. I mean, we talk so much about Ohio state and Michigan. Like you look at like Michigan, like why have they gotten to where they are? They've recruited better and, and they've done a really good job of developing talent. They've, they've brought in some guys who were, you know, not super highly rated guys, but they've developed those guys into really good players. And so I, I think that's still as important as it's ever been. But I do think Ohio state is maybe looking at it now. Like, okay, if, if we're either going to, if, if we have a spot we have to fill and there's not somebody in the high school ranks who we really feel like is like for sure an Ohio state caliber player. I think that's where they're now becoming more inclined to potentially add through the portal rather than bringing in another high school player. And, and it's interesting because we're kind of seeing it play out right now with Nigel Glover, the, the transfer linebacker from Northwestern, which, you know, his is actually an interesting case because he's a guy that a year ago, they basically said, we're not sure if this guy's Ohio State caliber. And now, after he spent a semester at Northwestern, they're trying to bring him in to fill what's really a future hole at linebacker because they missed out on Kingston Villiamuasa, as you mentioned. They missed out on Edwin Spillman, as you mentioned. You know, again, unless you consider Booker Pickett a linebacker, which I would consider him a jack based on the way Jim Knowles has described that position as somebody who's kind of that hybrid pass rusher. Like to me, that when he said that, that's like making the pitch to Booker Pickett. Like that's exactly who he's envisioning for that role. So Ohio State's not really recruiting any more true linebackers in the 24 class other than the two they already have committed in Garrett Stover and Peyton Pierce. And so it seems like Ohio State's looking at Nigel Glover as we could bring him in. He could he could play right away, but really the real reason they'd be bringing him in is to fill that hole in the 24 linebacker class. And really, you bring him in, you know, most likely red shirts this year as a true freshman. And then you've got a guy who's already been on campus for a year of development or a, a fall of development to then be on your roster next year. Uh, and still have those four years of eligibility. Yeah, uh, Nigel, we'll find out pretty soon if he's going to be on Ohio State. I personally think he will, but um, we'll see. A lot of things that could happen with that recruitment. Obviously took official visits to Kentucky and Michigan and Ohio State last week. And considering that he's kind of in that weird flux that he would be on the team this year, I think he's got to decide pretty soon. So um, we should probably find out. I would get think within the next couple days uh, where Nigel's going to end up playing for uh, 2023 and beyond. But yeah, he could fit that hybrid role. He's kind of a guy that was utilized a lot at safety um, in high school. And so he'll have the coverage aspect down. I think he'll just need to get a little bit more accustomed to shedding blocks every single play if he's going to line up in that traditional will linebacker set. Nigel aside, uh, let's take a Quick review of the scoreboard this past month for Ohio State. On the win side, they landed commitments from Justin Scott, Miles Lockhart, Aaron Scott Jr., Chris Henry Jr., and they saw Dylan Stewart, Kingston Villamuasa, Marquise Lightfoot, Jaden Jackson, and Edwin Spillman go elsewhere. So I will answer this question in a bit, but first I poise to you, Dan Hope, 
all in all, how would you assess the state of Ohio State recruiting right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting spot because I think you could very justifiably make a case that like things are going well for Ohio State in recruiting right now. And I think you can also make the case that things are not going as well as they could be. And so, I, you know, I, I don't I don't look at it like, you know, I again, like, I don't think there might be people who want to say like things are going great. And there might be people want to say the sky is falling. And, and I, I would not say either of those things. I think it's very much. In, in the middle. I mean, again, I think this 24 class, all in all, it's pretty solid. I, I think, you know, really, you know, they're at a point now where they're really, I'd say there's really probably four premier targets left in this class. Those being, you know, Edric Houston, KJ Bolden, offensive tackle, Brandon Baker, wide receiver, Jeremiah McClellan. Those are really like the four top guys at this point, but Ohio state would really like to land to round out that class. If, they don't get any of those guys, then, you know, like you said, maybe a Nigel Smith gets in there. Maybe, uh, you know, he could he'd get in there anyway, like you said, because they didn't get Dylan Stewart. You know, Chance Robinson, a Miami wide receiver commit. They just offered him. So, you know, not sure necessarily what that means in terms of Jeremiah McClellan, but they're at least expanding the net there a little bit at wide receiver. You know, Kobe Black is a guy that they'd, you know, probably still love to add at corner, but I think that would be a little bit more of a cherry on top after already getting Aaron Scott Jr. and Bryce West. And so they're in a good spot overall. I, I think the problem you look at is like, okay, if they lose K, if they lose KJ Bolden, there's not really another obvious candidate to, to fill that spot at safety. If they lose Brandon Baker, there's not really another obvious candidate to fill that spot at offensive tackle. So like to me, I, I think there's three big holes in this class that still need to be filled. And that's, you know, defensive end, you know, a premier safety and a premier offensive tackle. And I think it, it's still, you know, it, if they land Edric Houston, KJ Bolden and Brandon Baker, then we'll be saying this class is in really good shape. But if you miss out on a couple of those guys, then I think you look at, OK, you know, maybe there's, you know, a, 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 a couple areas in this class where Ohio State didn't quite hit exactly where it needed to. And those are all positions like, again, like, you know, defensive end, you know, it, it's been a trend there of the last couple of years where they've struggled to close the deal on these five star defensive end, you know, safety, you know, they missed out on a Caleb Downs last year. And so, you know, losing out on KJ Bolden would be kind of similar of a five star safety who was very much a top of a board target for most of a cycle. And so they'd really like to, you know, flip that script this year with KJ Bolden. And then, you know, Brandon Baker, again, it's, that's another position offensive tackle where Ohio state hasn't quite gotten those top of a board targets in recent years. And as a result, we're going into camp on Thursday with offensive tackle being Ohio state's biggest question mark. And so I, I think all in all, like Ohio state's doing good in recruiting, but I can't, I can't sit here right now and say they're doing great in recruiting because we have seen some key misses on the defensive side of a ball and there are a, a few holes that Ohio State needs to fill, and it's uncertain whether they're going to land those guys that they really need to fill those spots. Yeah, I think two things can be true. I think on one hand, I'd be surprised if they don't finish with a top five class at this point yet again, and their class would be the envy of almost every other recruiting class in the country. So it's not as if the sky is falling and they can't get a player to commit and they have their class is very talent devoid on the other. 
their holes, like you said, if they strike out on their top remaining targets are very evident. Um, if they strike out on Bolden, they strike out on Baker, God forbid they strike out on Houston. Um, those are very glaring spots that where do you go to expand your board or do you just pray that uh, an established player enters the transfer portal and you can fill it that way? Uh, those are questions still to be remained answered. So, I, I mean, I think it might be worth a, seeing if their strategy going forward in further classes is to expand that net a little further just to have backup plans or if they're going to use um, the recruiting cycle to just target their very top of the line targets and if they strike out on those just be more inclined to fill the those spots via the transfer portal than maybe they have been in the past couple cycles but uh, you mentioned the biggest targets remaining edrick houston kj bolden brandon baker jeremiah mcclellan um, i'm gonna rank from most likely to least likely who ends up at osu and then i'll ask the same thing to you i'll go edrick houston number one um, I still think he's an Ohio State lean. I haven't heard anything to change that, which, I mean, you know, ask me the day uh, before his commitment, the way things are going in the recruiting industry these days, right? But, um, and then number two, maybe surprisingly, I'd probably put Brandon Baker. I think that's an Ohio State-Texas battle right now. I think both schools have a pretty good shot there. And then number three, I'd go Jeremiah McClellan. I think uh, Oregon and Missouri have uh, picked up a little bit of steam there, but I still think Ohio State has a good chance. Uh, Chance Robinson offer, I think they would take both Jeremiah and Chance if they can land both. Um, And then obviously last is K.J. Bolden. And that's not saying I'm saying that K.J. Bolden probably isn't coming to Ohio State, but like I said earlier, I'd probably take the field over uh, Ohio State in that recruitment. Yeah, I agree completely with those rankings. You know, I think if we had done this the last time we did a pod together, we we probably would have had Baker at number four because I think we all, you know, had, you know, Houston, Bolden and McClellan as in and we had Baker as out or at least slightly out. And so, um, you know, I do think that would be the biggest change there on on that front. And I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I think I mean that that's one like I can't get a good read on. Like, you know, Ohio State's been in it. Texas has been in it. Oregon's been in it. It's it, it's hard to get a good read on where he's really leaning. But I think Ohio State's at least like in the hunt. And I think they at least have some confidence that they have a chance to win that one. And so I, I wouldn't really feel confident like picking any side in that one. But I, I, it does feel like Ohio State at least has a puncher's chance there. Like you said, McClellan, I think, you know, until like a month or so ago, it felt like Ohio State was really in a strong pole position there on him. But it does feel like both Oregon and Missouri have made up some ground there and maybe that offer to Chance Robinson is a sign that there's a little bit of uncertainty there. And so, uh, you know, I, I agree with those rankings. I mean, again, Houston, you know, he's I, I, I do think that Ohio State is still in a good position to land Edric Houston. And I certainly think over the next three weeks that Ohio State is going to be putting the full court press on Edric Houston because they really need. Uh, if you're if you're Larry Johnson and for your recruiting reputation right now, you really need to close the deal on a five star defensive end. Well, Dan, Ohio State starts fall camp in one day from now. Uh, they will open on Thursday, and we're going to have 25 practices in 30 days. Well, not we. I'm not going to be practicing. That would not go very well. But the Hand Buckeyes the will have five practices in 30 days leading up to the season opener against Indiana on September 2nd. You and I and Chase will be there on Thursday. So I will ask you, what is the biggest thing you'll be looking for as we watch the Buckeyes practice for the first time since April? 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I my eyes certainly got to go to the offensive line because it's been such a big question mark all year long. And it's still, to me, the, the biggest question mark of who are the starting offensive tackles and who are the starting center going to be. And then even more importantly than that, are whoever those guys going to be, are they, are they good enough? Are they going to be ready? Because we saw it in spring practice that, you know, we got to see those scrimmages. The defensive line pretty much ate the offensive line's lunch. And we've seen that before. And we saw that last year, too. And the offensive line ended up being pretty good. And so I think one of the biggest things you're really hoping to see if you're Ohio State is you need to see the offensive line win more of those battles. Ohio State is a very talented defensive line. But the offensive line, now that they've had some more time to gel and grow, you need to see them win more of those battles here early in preseason camp. And it will be interesting to see how much they mix and match bear at those positions you know i would guess that on thursday you know when we see the first team offensive line out there i would guess that josh fryer will be taking the first reps at left tackle and i would guess that carson hinsman will be taking the first reps at center but you know how much will jacob james mix in there at center how much could vic cutler mix in there at center you know that's certainly something i'm going to be interested to see you know does josh fryer take all the reps at left tackle or do we see some of the other guys mix in there? I mean, can we even see a Luke Montgomery mix in there with the way that Ryan Day talked about him last week? And then certainly at right tackle, I mean, that I think is probably the most interesting position to watch in camp because like, I genuinely don't know who's going to be the first right tackle out there on Thursday. Do they throw Josh Simmons in there with the first team right away? Or does he have to earn that as a guy who's coming in as a transfer? And if he does, then is Tegra Shabola going to be the first guy out there? Or is Zen Mahalski going to be the first guy out there? I, I genuinely don't know on that one. So I think that's going to be a really interesting position to watch. We're only going to get to see two full practices over the course of camp. So uh, it's not going to be quite as much as we saw in the spring in terms of really being able to watch a lot of practices, but certainly, you know, on Thursday, and then I think it's the following Friday, you, uh, August 11, but we'll be able to watch another full practice. Certainly, you know, the, the first place my eyes are going to go is going to be on that offensive line, you know, particularly that second opportunity we have to watch practice because by that time, Justin Fry and Ohio State are really going to need to be starting to figure out who really their first team offensive linemen are going to be. Well, you took my answer because that was my answer for this week's question that we did earlier in the 11 Warriors forums. And I don't want to take the lazy way out and say quarterbacks. So <laughs> I will go with who starts at cornerback opposite Denzel Burke. I would assume the front, uh, front runners would be a Jair Brown or Jordan Hancock, but could someone like a Calvin Simpson hunt emerge or, some other guy come in, maybe a Jermaine Matthews, probably not. But Ohio don't, State. Don't forget, has, don't forget about Davis and Igbenosin. Oh, I haven't forgotten about him. <laughs> but, you know, Ohio State has had a freshman start at, uh, at least one game at cornerback the past couple seasons. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I think that, uh, you know, between Davison, uh, Jair, and Jordan, at least, at least starting off, um, who gets that first team rep? between it's probably Jordan or Jair, I would guess, but, or maybe Davison, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see how Ohio state uh, handles transfers between uh, we'll call him Jimmy Simmons as he prefers to be called and uh, Davison. But I'm really interested to see which of those three corners in there runs out on the first team and who can maybe fight their way onto the first team, because that second corner spot seems really open um, as we head into Thursday here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think it is different for sure with Davison than it is with Josh Simmons because Davison's already been there for a spring. And so I don't think 
you know, Davison's lost his black stripe. So I, I don't think, you know, I think Davison, you know, whatever slow playing they did with him in the spring, you know, that's going to be off here in preseason camp, but that does not guarantee that he's going to be a starter because like you said, I mean, we saw Jordan Hancock took most of the first team reps uh, opposite Denzel Burke during the spring. And we also saw Jair Brown take a lot of first team reps during the spring. So I'm right there with you. That's going to be another very interesting position to watch in terms of, you know, not only who gets the first reps, but just how much do they mix up those reps? And do we get an idea based on how much they mix up those reps? Are they going to have two guys who play the majority of snaps? Or are they going to rotate more? So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of progresses over the course of camp. I think we both agree that Denzel Burke's going to be the number one corner, but how is the rest of that rotation going to shake out behind him? And, you know, I think safety as well, you know, is, is also a very interesting position because, you know, we expect Leif and Ransom to be the starting strong safety, but there's two other spots to fill. And I mean, you know, I, I, I have a feeling a lot of the 500 fans who are going to be out there watching practice on Thursday and Friday, I have a feeling a lot of their eyes are going to be on Sonny Styles because uh, Sonny Styles is without a doubt one of the most hyped up potential breakout players going into the season. Even Cade Stover added some fuel to that fire at Big Ten Media Days last week when he picked Sonny Styles as his breakout player and said, you know, he's a he's a freak athlete and somebody who does everything the right way. So like that's certainly a guy I'm going to have my eye on, too, because you know, we, we, we've seen him play, we've seen them kind of put him in that hybrid linebacker safety role, but you know, Jim Knowles and Perry Eliano said in May that, you know, he's shown he can play at those high safety positions too. And that they think they're going to need him there. So I'm interested to see, like, do we see Sonny take those first team reps at, you know, whether it be free or strong safety that maybe we didn't see him take in the spring. Uh, I'm really interested to see, you know, how they utilize him in these practices. And, you know, certainly CJ Hicks is another guy too. Uh, that's going to monitor watching, you know, I, I don't, again, I mean, he's not competing for a starting job right now because Tommy Eichenberg and steel chambers are solidified as the starters, but do they work him in for snaps in the, you know, two main linebacker positions? Do we see him play some Jack along with Mitchell Melton? You know, but Jack in itself is going to be another interesting storyline here of camp too, because, you know, Jim Knowles said in the spring, we're not really going to do much of that in the spring, but now these next few weeks is when Ohio State's really going to have to decide whether the Jack can be more of a factor in, in camp. And I think, you know, Mitchell Melton coming back from injury is certainly going to be a big part of that. Yeah, we talked about uh, you talked about the secondary a little bit with Lathan and then maybe Sonny taking an extra role. What do you make about other guys maybe carving out some roles for themselves? Jahad Carter coming in, obviously a big contender to get some playing time there. Josh Proctor returning, Cameron Martinez, Kai Stokes. Of those guys, what do you think is of that group is maybe set to earn that starting nod week one against Indiana, at least uh, make it his job to lose? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be super interesting because we saw Josh Proctor and Cam Martinez take most of a starter's reps in in the spring. But I think, you know, a lot of people would probably agree, like, we're still not quite sold on those two actually being the starters this fall. Because, you know, obviously with Josh Proctor, we've seen, you know, J- Josh Proctor is a guy who, you know, quite frankly, has been hyped up as like the next big thing for the next four or five years, last four or five years. And it just hasn't happened yet. So this is his last chance. So I, I do think that he did what he needed to do in the spring to to put himself in that position to have a real chance to 
you know, be that starting free safety this year. But I still think he's got to prove himself in, in, in fall camp. And I think, you know, we talk about Sonny Styles, but you mentioned Jahad Carter as well. I mean, this is a guy who's been a three-year starter in the ACC. And so it, it's hard to believe that they would bring in Jahad Carter to, to be a backup. But, you know, it, it, the interesting thing with him is, he could potentially be the starting free safety. He could also potentially be the starting nickel safety. You know, could he be a guy who's just, you know, a versatile depth piece at both positions? You know, that's certainly possible. It, the thing that made it a little harder project is we only saw half a spring from him because he suffered an injury. And so now, you know, while we kind of, while we saw, you know, Igbenosin have that full spring and really put himself in position to play a big role this fall. Jihad didn't have that full opportunity to do that this spring. So he's he's kind of in between an Igbenosin and a Josh Simmons, where you know you have a Josh Simmons, a Taiwan Malone, Lorenzo Styles. Those guys are all coming in. They're gonna practice for the first time as Buckeyes on Thursday. A Jihad Carter, he's practiced as a Buckeye, but he has still hasn't practiced very much as a Buckeye. And so I think he's a guy who still has a lot to prove in camp, but I, I I also will not be surprised one bit if whether it's at free safety or nickel safety, if, if Jihad Carter ends up seizing a starting job by the end of camp. And so like I think coming out of spring, like if I'm just going based off of like what we've seen so far, like if I was predicting the starting lineup, I would predict Josh Proctor at free safety, Leif and Ransom at strong safety, and Cam Martinez at nickel. But if either and or both of Jihad Carter and Sonny Styles end up in the starting lineup over either Proctor or Martinez. I won't be surprised if it ends up that way. You talked about the offensive line being the biggest position that you're eager to watch. And we have obviously three new starting spots up for grabs, both tackle positions and the center. So I'm going to take my shot at calling who's going to start there week one. And you can do the same. I have a guess that we're probably going to have pretty similar answers, but I'm going Josh Fryer at left tackle. I'm going Carson Hinsman at center. And I'm going Jimmy Simmons at right tackle. Agree or disagree, Dan Hope? I'm surprised, Garrett, because you, you've been a, a known member of Team Tegra. So I, I yeah, thought you were going to Tegra I, know. I, 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 I want Tegra to do well. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in Tegra. But uh, I, I do think he will have a say in this before it's all said and done. I'm just saying week one. I'm not saying the whole season. But yeah, I, I do agree with you on on those three that if I had to pick right now, I would go Josh Fryer left tackle, Carson Hinsman at center and and Josh Simmons at right tackle. But I, I don't think any of those are like for sure go right now. Like I, I think Jacob James could very much be in the, the mix at center. And I like I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we go up there on Thursday and Jacob James is taking the first reps at center. Like I, I, we just don't know because he wasn't out there this spring. I think he would have been taking those first reps at least to start the spring if he had been out there this spring. And so I won't be shocked if he comes in at the start of at the top of a depth chart in camp. I, I would guess that it will be Carson Hinsman based on what he did this spring, but I still think that job is, is up for grabs. I think Josh Fryer is the most solid of those three, but you know, the, the one thing I wonder there is the way Ryan day talked about Luke Montgomery is they almost, are they almost looking at it as, you know, Josh Fryer is the left tackle right now, but, do they want to see Luke Montgomery push him to where if Josh Fryer isn't what they hope he can be at left tackle, that maybe Luke could be a guy you talk about within the season. Is he a guy that probably isn't going to be the week one starter at left tackle as a true freshman, but maybe do they view him as a guy that if 
things don't work out with a first option, could he maybe be a guy who pushes for playing time as the year wears on? That's something that, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see. I, I don't think it would be ideal if Ohio State has to turn to a true freshman at left tackle unless, you know, Luke Montgomery just blows things up in camp and he looks amazing. But, you know, I, I think they're hoping Josh Fryer can be a rock solid guy there at left tackle. I just don't think they know that for sure yet. And then you know, right tackle, you know, I, I do think Tegra is going to be a factor in that competition. I, 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 think yeah, Tegra, I, I think Tegra came out of spring better than Zen Mahalski. And I think Tegra, I, I think that that right tackle competition is going to primarily come down to Tegra and Josh Simmons. I, I think Zen Mahalski still in the mix, but I think he's probably a step behind where those guys are right now. But hearing the way that, Ohio State players have been talking about Josh Simmons the last few weeks. I mean, they're talking about him just being this unbelievable athlete who's looked great in summer workouts. I think Ohio State is very high on Josh Simmons' potential. I do think he has a lot to prove in practice because he hadn't practiced yet as a Buckeye, and he did have a lot of issues of penalties last year. And so I think he has to prove himself over the next few weeks if he's going to win that job. But I do think Ohio State is very high on his upside and when you combine that with the fact that he also has a year of starting experience I I would look at him as the most likely starter at right tackle yeah I agree that the first group of offensive line may not be the final group of the offensive line they roll out at the end of the season but Dan we've avoided this conversation as long as we could we've tried to give as many love to other positions as humanly possible but now it's probably only fair that we center around the biggest storyline surrounding Ohio State camp, and that's the quarterback. Will it be Kyle McCord? Will it be Devin Brown? Will it be Lincoln Kynholz? Just kidding. But it's probably going to be Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. Um, you know, coming out of the spring, unfortunately, Devin didn't get a chance to play in the spring game um, due to that injury. But um, it's probably Kyle McCord's job to lose. But um, they're keeping it an open QB competition. Dan, what are your thoughts on uh, the story that everyone wants to know? Yeah, well, while Lincoln's got some buzz about him right now, I do think it's still very much a competition between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And I do think Kyle McCord will probably be the starting quarterback this season. Again, I I don't think that competition's over, and so I think there's still a lot to be determined over the next two to three weeks there. But I do think Kyle McCord is going to go into camp as the leader in that competition because he has that extra year of experience, because he was able to go through a full spring. But he but now he's got to go win it. Like, I think, you know, if you're Ryan Day, if you're Ohio State, like these next couple of weeks, you really want to see Kyle McCord go out there and and win it. Because I mean, we heard Ryan Day last week, like he didn't shut the door on the idea of a competition that could go on even beyond camp. And so ideally, I think Ryan Day would like to name the starting quarterback within the next two to three weeks, but he hasn't closed the door on the possibility of extending beyond that yet. And that suggests that Kyle McCord, either Kyle McCord's got to go out there and win that job or Devin Brown's got to perform so well that he can steal the job away from him. I also think it's Kyle McCord's job to lose and I expect him to be the starter heading into week one at Indiana. And while he does have one start under his belt, I mean, the guy's going to have every resource at his disposal in terms of skill talent to succeed. And it's pretty hard to get a better one in Marvin Harrison Jr. And he's already familiar with them being high school teammates. Switching gears a little bit, 
Dan, do you think Jim Knowles' defense is ready to be an elite defense in year two? They started off the year really well in his first year and then got bit by the big play bug near the end in the Michigan and Georgia games. So what are you looking to see from Jim Knowles' unit as a whole entering Thursday? I would say that I'm cautiously optimistic that Ohio State can have an elite defense this year. I think they have all the pieces in terms of personnel, whether that be you know JT Tuomolowau, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, Ty Hamilton, Kenyatta Jackson up front. I mean, I think they've got they have the talent on the defensive line to have an elite defensive line. We haven't seen that elite defensive line in a few years, but I, I think they have the pieces there. A lot of guys there going into their third or fourth year that you know really should be ready to take off. I think the pieces are there for Ohio State to have an elite defensive line, and that's really where it all starts. I, I think Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers should be one of the best linebacker tandems in the country. And if you can get some contributions from CJ Hicks, Cody Simon mixed in there, that, that can make them better. And then I think, you know, the, the secondary, I think that's where the biggest question marks are. But, you know, I do think they've got two good leaders coming back and Denzel Burke and Lathan Ransom. I expect Denzel Burke to bounce back from, you know, a somewhat disappointing year last year. I expect Lathan Ransom to bounce back from a disappointing end to last season. And I think, you know, between, you know, Jordan Hancock, Davis and Igbenos and Jair Brown at corner and, you know, Sonny Styles, Josh Proctor, Jahad Carter, Cam Martinez at safety. I think there's a lot of candidates there that have the potential to play big roles for the defense. And so I think all the pieces are there. I think we've seen historically that Jim Knowles as defenses have gotten better over time. So I think I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say, that Ohio State can have an elite defense. I also don't think we're really going to know until the end of the year because, I mean, again, if you looked at the defensive stats through 11 games last year, Ohio State had one of the best defenses in the country. Then it played two really good teams in Michigan and Georgia, and the defense looked awful. And so we're not going to know based on how they play against Indiana, Western Kentucky, and Youngstown State if the defense is better. We're just not going to know for a while. But, you know, one thing we did see this spring was the defense really consistently getting the better of the offense in practice. And I'll be interested to see if that continues and whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'm not sure, because as we talked about the offensive line has been a a big question mark, there's question marks at quarterback. And so I think if you're Ohio state, you know, you, you really want to see it be as close to 50, 50 as possible in terms of the offense and the defense winning in practice. I think you definitely want to see, you definitely want to see some more wins from the offensive line in practice and camp. I think you certainly want to see sharper, more consistent play from the quarterbacks. And it's also going to make a difference that in the spring, they did not have a Mecca book out there. They did not have Julian Fleming out there for most of the spring. They didn't have Xavier Johnson out there either. And so now that they're going to be at full force at wide receiver, you would expect the offense to do better in preseason camp than it did in the spring. And in turn, it's going to be a bigger test from the secondary than what we saw in, in the spring. You know, not to say that they weren't going up against talented receivers then, because they were still going up against Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, Carnell Tate had a fantastic spring. But I think you get back to full strength there at both skill positions. You know, you factor in, you know, Travion Henderson at running back as well. Mayan Williams was limited this spring. So if them getting back to full strength on offense, it's going to be more of a test of a defense. And so I think if the defense continues to look as good in preseason camp as it did in the spring, then I think you'll have a lot of reason to be optimistic about the defense. 
but that also might leave some 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 question marks about the offense. Fortunately, we've got lots more camp talk coming next week when we've actually been able to witness plays develop and witness, uh, well, I guess here, players, coaches, the likes talk. We'll hear from Ryan Day, quarterbacks, Jim Knowles, linebackers, running backs, coach Tony Alford, running backs, Perry Eliano, safeties between now and next Wednesday. And either myself or Chase will be back on here to discuss that with Dan and well, we, uh, we're pretty excited to finally get this going here uh, about a month out from the season opener of uh, Ohio State football. But it's a busy uh, busy time in college football outside of just Ohio State where the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the Big 10, and potentially the SEC are concerned, and I guess the ACC, just Power 5 in general, as Potentially more realignment is coming. It started last week when Colorado uh, came back to the Pac-12, came crawling back after nearly a decade, leaving the Pac-12 on Thursday, official move. And the Pac-12 had a, uh, a TV deal meeting, whatever you want to call it, on Tuesday. It seemed to be that the major TV partner was Apple and that uh, there was a lot of incentives based, which does not say to me that uh, is going to prevent any further teams from bolting to greener pastures if that's available. Arizona, um, from Pete Thamel's article, possibly Arizona State and Utah to the Big 12 could be rumored. Yeah, For all we know, maybe there's an update by the time you're listening to this show, but um, because things happen so quickly with realignment. But Dan, what do you make just uh, on the offset of potential further movement of the Pac-12 to maybe the Big 12 and what that kind of says for the future of college football going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the Pac-12 is certainly in big trouble right now to, to have already lost Colorado, potentially losing as many as three more schools to, to the Big 12. And I think if, if that happens, then the, the big question but you know, certainly probably most interesting to our listeners is will the next domino be Oregon and Washington coming to the Big Ten, which, you know, that's kind of been a question, you know, ever since it was announced last year that USC and UCLA would be joining the the, the Big Ten. And you know, the sense has been that the Big Ten's interest in Oregon and Washington has kind of been kind of tepid, like they're not bending over backwards to to get Oregon and Washington into the conference. And so, you know, I think if you look at a PAC 12 that appears to be on life support right now, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I think if a PAC 12 loses more schools, like I don't, I don't really see a, a path to survival for the PAC 12, at least not as a major conference because any schools that they'd be looking at as potential replacements just aren't going to bring the same kind of brands, the same kind of cachet as, as the schools that they're losing. And so I, I think the PAC 12 is very much operating from a position of weakness right now. And I think every school in that conference is looking for their exit strategy right now. And I think, you know, for Oregon and Washington, I think their exit strategy all along has very much been trying to get into the big 10, but I think Oregon and Washington need the big 10 more than the big 10 needs Oregon and Washington. And so I think the question becomes, if it becomes clear that, you know, everybody's trying to jump off a Titanic bear of a Pac-12, does the Big Ten, you know, give them that life raft? And if it does, what does that look like? Because, you know, I think 
there's some feeling that, you know, maybe the Big Ten's kind of waiting this out until Oregon and Washington is really desperate because then you might be able to convince Oregon and Washington to jump to the Big Ten even without giving them a full revenue share. And I mean, if you if you look at what's been reported out there, at least as of Tuesday afternoon and we're recording this, you know, rumors have been that this Pac-12 deal is only going to be about $20 million per school, whereas the Big Ten's deal is expected to be upwards of $70 million per school. So if you look at it that way, Oregon and Washington, if they were to come into the Big Ten and accept only a half share of revenue, they would still make more money off the TV deal than they would be getting from the Pac-12. And so I think that's become a realistic scenario now where Oregon and Washington could potentially come over to the Big Ten for less than a full revenue share, which, you know, it's it's kind of a wild thing to say, because like you think about it, like are Oregon and Washington really less valuable to the Big Ten than Maryland and Rutgers? But (laughs) You know, I, I think a lot of it, you know, just as it is in any business transaction, a lot of it's about leverage. And the reality is right now, the Big Ten has leverage in any negotiations it decides to partake in with Oregon and Washington because the Big Ten doesn't feel like it really needs to expand right now. But I think if you're Oregon and Washington, you probably feel like you need to get out of a Pac-12. And I think without a doubt, the most desirable landing spot for Oregon and Washington would be to go to the big 10, especially with USC and UCLA also going to the big 10. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's probably going to take place over the next few weeks. Um, I, it is kind of crazy to think that Oregon and Washington may be only half share members for the first part of their tenure, if that comes to fruition at all. But like you said, I think at this point, if, the other three, four quarter schools depart, Oregon and Washington are going to need life rafts. And if their destination isn't to the big 10, then I don't really know what the destination is. Um, maybe, I mean, do you want to go independent? That seems pretty uh, unsustainable to me. So they may be backed into a corner depending on what happens over the next weeks or so. But, um, and then, you know, keep an eye on the ACC as well. Uh, seems to be some bubbling cauldron smoke down from the local media in Florida State and Clemson, for all we know. And that grant of rights deal is just very hard to see anybody getting out of the scene as it runs through 2036. But if, for whatever reason, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, those teams becomes available, I would think that those teams would probably have more of a draw to the interest of the Big Ten than Oregon or Washington would, even at half share. But there's just a lot of possibilities that could happen in realignment right now. And frankly, I'm uh, very curious to see where it goes because this could all happen very quickly because everyone seems to be positioning themselves best for the 2024 season with the expanded playoff and when everything really gets rolling in the new era of college football. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, when I, especially when I look at like Florida state and Clemson, like I'm inclined to believe like if that's going to happen, it's not going to happen like right now. But I also think back to last summer and nobody saw the USC and UCLA coming until the literal like day it happened. So I I think you have to be on your toes with this stuff and realize that things could change very quickly. Uh, Like you said, I think because of that grant of rights, which is locked in through 2036, I, I think 
for any of those ACC schools to leave, I think there's still a lot of legal hurdles that they've got to get past first before any of that's going to happen. And so I would be surprised if anything happened rapidly on that front. But like you said, I think, you know, a lot of these schools, you know, whether they're ACC, Pac-12, whatever, they're, they're looking at it. They're see, they see Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC next year. They see USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten next year. And, oh, yeah, they see the playoff expanding to 12 teams next year. And I think now if you're not already in the SEC or the Big Ten or, or the Big 12, and we, 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 we got to give Brett Yormark and the Big 12 a lot of credit because a couple of years ago, they looked like the conference that were on life support. When Oklahoma and Texas left the Big 12, they looked like the conference that was going to be the one to die. And, and they have managed to respond and make themselves a desirable attraction, not just for, you know, Cincinnati's and, and Houston's and UCF, BYU, you know, but those schools, it was an obvious move to go to the Big 12 because it gave them a chance to get into a Power 5 conference. But to see schools now leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12, I think the Big 12 has really established itself as like, even with what the SEC and Big Ten are doing, like like we're here to stay at least at least for right now. They're they're here to stay, and so you got to give the Big Twelve credit. But at the same time, you know if you're you know where we're talking Oregon, Washington, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, whatnot. For those schools, it's like but the, the the two conferences you really want to be in are the Big Ten and the SEC because they are positioning south themselves to almost be the AFC and NFC of college football going forward, the way that they're continuing to expand. And so I think if you're one of those schools, like you'd be naive not to be exploring your potential chances to get into those conferences. And, you know, it's going to change college football as we know it without a doubt. I mean, I think for a lot of, I mean, for a lot of people, like even adding like Rutgers and Maryland into the Big Ten was a big change because the Big Ten was historically such a Midwest conference. But I think the reality of, of the future of the Big Ten is the Big Ten is going to it's a matter of time that the Big Ten is going to truly become a national conference. You know, we've already expanded beyond the Midwest to the West Coast. Now, I think the next step for the Big Ten is is trying to get into that Southeast, not you don't want to allow the SEC to poach all the schools from the ACC and then completely have the stronghold on the SEC. And so I think that's probably the appeal of the Big Ten. If you can get, whether it's Florida State or Clemson or Miami or North Carolina or whoever, if you can get some schools from that region of a country so that you're also able to compete with the SEC down there, I, I think that's very much a step that the Big Ten wants to take. It's just a matter of, of when. Well, Dan, we'll uh, be back next week, or at least you will. Maybe I will be. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll just keep everyone in suspense about who the host of Real Pod Wednesday is going to be um, for now. <laughs> yeah. Um, for another edition of Real Pod Wednesday, maybe the Big Ten will have 28 teams in there by, by that time. Who knows? And maybe well, the that Pac-12 happens, we'll certainly be talking about that. Yeah. Maybe a Pac 12 will be a thing of a distant memory. But it was fun. I'm looking forward to uh, fall camp. And any final thoughts before we wrap up, Dan? No, just thanks for joining us, Garrick. Thanks, as always, to everyone who listens. And as Garrick said, uh, we will be back next week. Fall camp is going to be in full swing uh, by the time we talk to you next week. So we're going to have a lot to talk about as we are now, as of today, just one month away from the start 
of the 2023 Ohio State football season. So football season is very much coming up upon us fast, and we'll be talking about it all here on Real Pod Wednesdays. Thanks for listening in and have a great week.